Did you know that the few words of the thief on the cross reveal the full nature of what is necessary for us to receive the gift of God's forgiveness and eternal life? It is, and in just a moment, I'll explain it to you. Folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen. I've been the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life radio program for over 20 years. This program comes to you from the International Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. We want you to know what we're doing to reach the world for Jesus Christ, and we invite your partnership with us. Go to traincpe.org to learn more. And you can experience our teaching every week at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. You can find out about our location and time of worship by going to breadoflifeboise.org. The thief first had a revelation that the one next to him was the Savior. He then saw his own sin and in repentance confessed his own deserving of the awful punishment of crucifixion. And then by faith he looked to Jesus and said to that dying one next to him, Remember me when you come in your kingdom. That's faith. For God's forgiveness, you must have a revelation of himself. Before him, you must then see and confess your sin, and then in faith, turn to your Savior for the answer you need to be received by God. Revelation, repentance, faith, and then comes forgiveness. I want you to hear what the Lord Jesus' response is to all of this. These are the words of Christ that we want to focus in on here just quickly. Jesus says, assuredly, the word is amen. It's so be it. It's our Savior's amen. We pray with amen. Lord, give me this and Lord, provide this for us. And amen, so be it. I, I leave it at your feet. And the Lord Jesus has his own amens. Amen, he says. I say to you this day, you will be with me in paradise the first words of the Lord Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, is a word of intercession. They're the words of a man who is a righteous and sinless man who is yet mediating for sinful men and mediating to God and standing between them. This is Jesus Christ, the man, saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's a word of intercession. But these next words that he proclaims are words of absolution. They're words of forgiveness. They're words of dismissing guilt and sin. And they're the words of God as he's dying on the cross. Declaring, releasing the man free from all his sins. The dying thief asked for a far off day when Christ might return and remember him in mercy. And Jesus responds to him and says, not on a far off day, today, this day, now. You're going to be with me in heaven. It's a prophecy, by the way, and it's a promise. When you were crucified, oftentimes it would take four days for you to come to your death. It was a slow and cruel and tormented death. And the Lord Jesus says, not for us. Your suffering will soon be passed. Today, here's the promise, you'll be with me. Here's the prophecy, you'll die today. Your suffering is going to end today. Here's the promise, you're going to be with me in paradise. When we pray that God would forgive us of our sins, when we repent and turn to the Lord Jesus and seek his cleansing and his forgiveness, this desire for forgiveness is something more than just easing our conscience. It's not simply eradicating some deep entrenched guilt in our lives. It's more than the removal of a burden or a weight to be released from us through a confession that we make. You know, there are individuals who confess some terrible deed they've done and, and they feel good for a moment because it just feels good that the secret is out. And it's more for us than that. It's more than being released from these things. It's about the distance that our sins have created between us and God being removed. It's about that barrier being taken away. It's about 
being with the Lord Jesus, holding fellowship with Him. Absolution is our step into reconciliation with God, a God who loves us and who made us for Himself and for His life. And that's what forgiveness and God's dismissal of our guilt and absolution brings to us. And that's what the thief realized. And I'm comforted when we look at this story. I'm comforted that few individuals knew about this event. Mark doesn't record it. Matthew doesn't record it. Luke alone records this event. Few individuals probably heard it and understood it. Maybe just a few. Maybe those who are crowding nearest the cross heard these words that were expressed. And I find that particularly comforting and encouraging. And I find it encouraging because they're individuals that we pray for and we long to see come to the Savior. and We don't know the condition or state of their spiritual life all the way up to the point of death. We have no story to tell of whether they actually really, we know they know the truth. We know that we've proclaimed it to them. We know that we've talked to them about Jesus. We know they have the knowledge of, but we also know that the record of life is they have no belief in Jesus Christ. They come to that point of death and there's a great sorrow on our part because we don't know what's happened to them and where they've gone and what their response was. Yet we're not still without some form of hope if we understand this story. Uh, Somehow God can get through and God can make himself known. If God can reveal and open the eyes of the thief at that moment to see Christ for who he is, in the throes of death and the anguish of crucifixion, God can speak to them in the midst of their failing hours. And that's encouraging and that's hopeful and Lord, we'll have to leave that with you. At the same time, I have to say there's a warning in this. Just one thief repented. There's no record that the other thief came to himself or came to an understanding. There's no promise that in the last breaths, you'll get a clearer sight of Jesus in that moment. The call is to respond to him now. It's to recognize now that he alone can absolve and forgive those of sins who repent and place their faith completely in Him. That's God's condition to be met. These first three words, and I'm just going to take a few more moments just to pass on to the words that Lord Jesus speaks after these. The first three words that we read from the cross all come as Christ is looking outward to those around Him. They're words actually that come to us. The first is a word of intercession. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The second is a word of absolution and promise. This day you'll be with me in paradise. You've been forgiven. Your guilt has been removed. There's nothing in between you and I. This day we'll be together. The last word is the word that he gives in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. I like to believe that this is the word he carries on to us, his people who have pledged our life to him. All his intercessions are for us and So we find him and we're forgiven and oh, he absolves us and cleanses us and washes us and so nothing between me and my Savior we're we're reconciled to him but then he goes on providing for us. In John 19, 26 and 27, we read this. Jesus now is still on the cross. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, his eyes now turn from the thief When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, that would be John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is a word of provision. 
We could marvel that when the Lord Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he prayed out these wonderful prayers of intercession that these individuals might reach the ground and condition of receiving God's forgiveness. And we might marvel that in the midst of his torment and his anguish, he provides this, this divine decree of absolution to the thief who is dying next to him and that he was going to be with him in paradise. But then again, we also reason to ourselves, is that not why he came? <laughs> Didn't he come for sinners? Didn't he go to the cross that they might be forgiven and cleansed and have life with him? Isn't that the whole purpose? And so to some extent, although it's marvelous and wonderful, we reason in our mind it makes sense. In fact, this is what all of redemptive history was moving towards. The Bible says of the Lord Jesus that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God was planning this. God was designing this way of salvation for us. He was delivered up, we're told, by the determined foreknowledge of God. By God's decree and God's counsel and God's plan. This was God's understanding. And so, understanding that, we might see that there is a progressive unfolding of this hour and this moment and this reality and this provision all throughout the revelation of the Bible, we see him revealed as that lamb that was provided for Adam and Eve as skins to clothe them when they realized that they were unrighteous. We see it in the offering that is intimated that Abel brought before God that God was pleased with. We see it offered now and expressed for the family in Egypt as they're escaping. Each family is given a Passover lamb. And here's a lamb not only for a man, but now there's a lamb for a family. And then we see before Mount Sinai the lamb and the sacrificial system that's being offered up for the nation. And then we see John the Baptist seeing the Lord Jesus saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we see him as a lamb for the whole world. The Bible is progressively unveiling before us the purpose of the Lord Jesus coming. The purpose for this hour and this moment of crucifixion. And all of human history is channeling down to this narrow point of the cross. All of the judgment that sin deserves and all of the accumulation of wrath that comes upon sin and, and all of its misery and all of its pain and all of its torment is all channeling in, accumulated to this point and this moment through all, all of history and all of God's righteous judgments are coming with force upon Christ as he agonizes upon the cross and his suffering is unimaginable. It is a concentrated hell that he's enduring on the cross for our sakes. In the midst of it, he knows why he's come, and so he prays for forgiveness. And in the midst of it, he knows the joy that he's seeking in this suffering, and so he offers an expression of that joy to this thief that he absolves. In a sense, it makes sense, but even here, it's, it's profound and it's mysterious. And yet here maybe is the most wonderful thing. In the middle of all this, this great, historical, profound, central moment in all of human history, where Christ is providing the full breadth of the greatness of his salvation, he pauses to meet the simple need of one woman, Mary. Her oldest son is dying on the cross, and she'll need someone to provide for her. In the middle of this atoning work, Christ pauses to assign a duty to John. On the cross, he tells John, you're, you're to take care of this woman and watch over her as your mother. The world has provided an unending procession of supposed messiahs. They come one after the other, promising benefit to those who are their constituents and follow along them with their claims, and they accept their rule. And as they come, they bring benefits to those constituents, but they crush under their feet others. 
They bring benefits to one and they crush under the feet others. They meet some immediate need for some and they deny great needs in another part and they explain it's all a part of their political philosophy. It's all what they need to suffer in order to experience some better thing in days ahead. And by the way, so what happens with all these supposed messiahs is we always come, always history, always the major people of the earth around them come holding the short end of the stick as these saviors come by. The saviors that the world has to offer. But when the Lord Jesus saves, he answers the deepest need of all human beings. He comes to us and he provides for an understanding of who he is, a recognition of our sins. He opens us up by faith in him and he forgives us and cleanses us and absolves us and removes all our guilt and restores us into a full relationship with him. He gives us all of this and yet in the same breath and in all this he does not forsake the daily provisions of our lives. When the Lord Jesus taught us to pray and taught us to pray along the lines of the essential elements of our salvation, forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What's more about our salvation than that? Being forgiven of your sins. Being delivered from the evil one. Salvation. He taught us to pray in that way. He also taught us to pray for our daily needs. He said, actually, why don't you start there? Give us this day our daily bread. And he bundles it up all together. And it's wonderful, sweet, and profound salvation. Now, how great a Savior is He. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.